0: We've been in a, a teaching series in the, the book of Nehemiah. Oh, man, and, and I, I love, I love Nehemiah. We've got reading guides. I hope, uh, I hope you're reading along. If you brought your Bibles, we're going to kind of land in Nehemiah chapter 6. But uh, if this is your, your first week, I just want to set the stage. Nehemiah is a slave, an exile in the Persian Empire. He works for the king. He's the king's uh, uh, cup bearer. But his heart is broken for Jerusalem. He knows that Jerusalem needs to be rebuilt, that a wall needs to be built, that, that God wants to establish his kingdom on earth one time again in this physical place of Jerusalem. And Ezra builds a temple, and it's Nehemiah's job to build the wall. And Nehemiah is, is, is heartbroken when he founds that, that this is kind of our, our, our pitiful little wall. When the wall has been torn down and broken... And he prays to God, and he, he asks for forgiveness for all of the people. He says, send me, God, send me. If you'll just make the king favorable to me, his servant, I'll, I'll go, and I'll rebuild the wall. And Scripture says, Nehemiah says, that the hand of God is on Nehemiah. And the king, almost out of the blue, says, what do you need? And he supplies Nehemiah with, with everything, and he sends him out on this great work. And Nehemiah is this, this, this master kind of a a leader, this awesome example of what a leader is. And he lines the people up. Do you remember what it says? Shoulder to shoulder. And they begin this great work. We called it a wig, a wildly important goal. And in the middle of this work, they, they face every kind of opposition imaginable. The, the, we, we talked about everything worth having is uphill. The problem is that too many of us have downhill habits, but Nehemiah rallies the people, lines them up shoulder to shoulder, aligns them with, with God's call for their life, tells them to be strong and courageous and do the work. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we ran into this ish- issue. While they were doing the work, they were charging interest to each other, and they were basically taking advantage of uh, the wealthy, were taking advantage of the poor, and Nehemiah loses it and loses control and just says, this should not be happening. And he, as, a, as an incredible leader, he just advocates that every life is valuable. Every life has value. In God's eyes, every life is intrinsically valuable. And so we must be in the, in, in the business of redeeming. And I, and I wore a bathrobe, right? You remember this? You guys, uh, it was really pretty. It was pink. I'm glad it's not here today. But Nehemiah says, man, you can't take advantage of people. You've got to see every life as valuable. You got you If you've been taking interest, if you've been taking advantage, you've you got to stop doing that. You've got to repay everything. And the people promise, we, we promise we'll do that. And Nehemiah shakes out the folds of his robe. as a way of saying, if you don't keep this promise, God's going to shake you out in this exact same way. He talks about this idea of redemption and, and living out of a sense of of imminent return, that God is near, and he's conscious, he's close. In chapter 6, the work is almost done. In fact, in in chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. Sanballat and Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we we had yet to set up the doors and the gates. Have you ever been to that place in a project where we're like, the work is just almost done, like like that that last few like the finished pieces of the project. Why why are they the hardest? Hey, you know what I'm talking about? To do that last well, there's just one final step. You've done all this, but that but that one final step, and it's at this moment like he's he's so close to being done. He can almost taste it. And it's at this time like it's a sand ballad and Tobiah, Man, it, it should say like. Darth Vader and Lord Sauron, like these guys are enemies. Like this is the opposition. They see like the work is almost done. It's almost done. And this is their last ditch effort, their their last chance to attack. They see their last opportunity for victory. And in chapter six, they hold nothing back. They're going to come at Nehemiah with everything they've got. In verse two, it says that Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking, Nehemiah asking me to meet them on the, uh, what's it say, uh, message asking me to meet them at one of the village in the plain of Ono. But he says, I realized they were plotting to harm me. The first attack in this, in this barrage is attack of, to, to use Distraction. If we can just distract Nehemiah, then this work won't get done. It'll, it'll get put off a little bit longer. And, and so they send a message and say, let's meet at this plane of Ono, oh, and, and that's a perfect name. Have, uh, have you ever been involved in a work and somebody is just kind of always there trying to distract you? Said, I, I know what you're doing is important, but if you'll just come and it, if we can just meet and talk, but, but knowing full well they have no desire to kind of reconcile or correct things, you should instantly in your head think about the plane of oh no, like oh no, this is not a good idea. It's appropriate na- appropriately named, and they they kind of they kind of set this place out. Well, we'll we'll just meet at this place, this the, near the village, and, and it's the plane of oh no, like like it's some sort of like like neutral site, but but likely it's just a place without any kind of protection. When you're involved in in a great work, do you see other people sometimes try to isolate you? See how that works? Well, if I can get you away, then I can can distract. They pretend to be interested in working it out, but what's the truth? Nehemiah, the wise leader, he says, I I know this is a plot. In verse 3, I love his response. He said, so I replied to them by sending this message. I'm engaged in a great work. Why don't you read that, read that part in yellow with me? He says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. <laughs> and I love this. Like, why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Hold on to that response. We're going to talk about it some more. But Sam Ballad and, and Gesserim, they're they're not deterred. In verse 4, it says, uh, it says that they actually send this message four times. It just keeps coming. In verse 5, we see the beginning of the second attack. Uh, on the fifth letter, I think maybe I have that scripture up there. Yeah, the fifth time, so they keep coming, they keep coming. On the fifth time... Sam Ballant's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And look what it says in verse 6. And they've changed their tactics now. This second attack is attack on, on Nehemiah's character. In verse 6 it says, and this is what it said. There is a, what's that word? Rumor. Oh, man, there's this rumor among the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it's, it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. And, and that's why you're really building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be king. Keep going. Let's go to the next verse. He also reports this rumor that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim just that fact. Look, there is a king in Judah. Now, you can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. This is a clever attack. Do you guys see it? I love this, that, you know, the fifth letter is, uh, uh, it's really to help Nehemiah, right? You ever had opposition that disguised themselves as helpers? I work at a church, this happens sometimes. I'm just here to help you. You know, everything is awful, and I'm just here to tell you because I am your best friend, right? You know what I'm talking about. Do you, do, have you been in this situation? That's exactly like, like these guys are the enemy. These guys are the opposition, but they put on this disguise of, oh, you know, we're really your best friends, and we're really looking out for your best interest. You know, because we got to tell you, there's this rumor out there that we started. There's this rumor that, that, that this whole thing, this whole thing that you're doing is just because you want to be king. And this rumor gets even worse because the rumor is that, that you've talked to God and, and that you're trying to, to position prophets and you're paying prophets to tell people that this is God's will. And the, these rumors are really just the seeds of self-doubt, Right? They want nehemiah to doubt his purpose they want him to to doubt his work to 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 question his resolve because because if we can just make him take take a few minutes if if he will just stop what he's doing long enough to l to reexamine well is that really my motive am i am I really here just to to try to be king am i really here am i am i really you know If we can just get him to to take time to defend and re-examine his motives while he's doing that, what's going to happen to his work? It's going to pause. It's going to get stalled. It's going to get off track. And again, Nehemiah is swift. He sees right through in verse 8. He says, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're just making the whole thing up. And I love what he says in verse 9, like, man, such a wise guy. He says, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and somehow stop the work. So what does he do? So I continued the work with even greater determination. Man, you got to like Nehemiah, right? Right? You need to have posters of Nehemiah on your wall. Like, this guy, that's awesome. Nehemiah refuses to be baited. He refuses to, to, you know, waste time re-examining motives that he knows he's true. He refuses to doubt himself and his purpose. The third attack is simply a, a, a fear attack. In verse 10, it says, later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of, of Dalia, the grandson of Mehetelab, or something, uh, <laughs> who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Keep going. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. This attack is is really the, the cleverest of, of all of them um, because of the way it's set up. The message doesn't come from the dark side of the force this time. The message comes from inside. Do you see how that works? It comes from Shemaiah, who we, we only can imagine is kind of like a respected leader in the community, like like this this elder in the community that everybody looks up to and, and respects, like like and maybe he's confined to his his, his house or his, his abode because he he's elderly, or maybe because he's he's faced some of the same attacks that Nehemiah has. So so the this message comes from someone that, that you should respect and, and someone that, that that is an is an ally. Like he, he is someone that that maybe even represents like is is a mouthpiece for God in the community. Something doesn't seem right about this, and it shouldn't from the very beginning. Does it seem right to you? What does Shemaiah ask Nehemiah to do? He asked him to take refuge where? In the temple. Now, who's allowed in the temple? Yeah, only the high priest, and only once a year. Right? So what happens if Nehemiah, the leader of the people, no doubt, enters the Holy of Holies? See, that's a sin that, that, that wouldn't just affect Nehemiah, but that's a sin that would affect the whole community. Do you see how that works? It was one of the reasons that um, uh, Billy Graham always traveled with with like close confidants and, and men who would hold him accountable. Oftentimes when Billy Graham was, he was gone, he was out doing, doing his, his meetings or whatever, you know, they would assign him a, a hotel room and he would switch without anybody knowing with his, uh, with his accountability partner. Why would he do that? So what happens if somebody finds out what room Billy Graham's in and a, and a woman or someone opens, Billy Graham opens that door and all of a sudden he's in a situation that doesn't just affect him, right? But because of who he is, because of his position in the community, like, like that kind of sin would affect everyone. And so uh, uh, if you read more about Billy Graham man, his life is awesome But he had guys that always traveled with him that he switched rooms So they'd never know which room he was in just in case just to keep him out of that kind of place He had an awesome accountability system built in And I love like like that's the I think that's the example that that we see in nehemiah too Nehemiah enters that temple everything he has worked for will end because the whole community identity and faith in him will be completely destroyed and nehemiah sees right through it in verse 11 says should someone in my position run from danger should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life he says no i won't do it and then in verse 12 he realizes that god had not spoken to him but that he'd utter this prophecy against, uh, against me because he was hired by the dark side. He was hired by the opposition to speak this. You remember what they accused him? They accused him of hiring prophets to say things that weren't true. And then they go and do the exact same thing. And do you know why? This is, this is the, the, the cleverest attack that, that comes at Nehemiah. Do you know why it is? It's because it comes from inside it comes from within the community. They use someone respected and, and, and close. And there's a warning for us is, is to just always be careful who we listen to. Age and, is not necessarily a guarantee of, of wisdom mm. or deserved trust. Have you encountered this in your life? People that kind of pose to to have your best interests at heart, people who, who kind of pose to, have, to be your friends, but, but really are out to get you. So be careful who you listen to. In verse 13, he says, they were just hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would have been able to discredit me and accuse me. And verse 14 is, is very characteristic of Nehemiah. Nehemiah prays, and it's not the, not the prayer you have crocheted on your wall. <laughs> After this barrage of attacks, Nehemiah says, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done, and, and, and remember Noadiah the prophet, and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. And it's it's maybe not as bad as it appears. Nehemiah isn't, isn't praying like maybe you or I have prayed for this person is such a thorn in my side. Would you please just hit them with a the bus or something? Uh, it, it's not quite that bad, but at the same time, he puts them before God as judge and jury. You see how that works? Even, even in this prayer, there are some things to respect about Nehemiah as, as he's not taking on responsibility of dealing with them on himself, but he just places them before God says, God, this is, this is yours. And after running the gauntlet, (laughs) finally in verse 15, we get to the moment we've been waiting for. So on October 2nd, the wall was, what's the word? Finished. And it took just 52 days. It's pretty impressive. Maybe a mile long. Stacks of rocks. Fifty-two days, the wall is finished. And then, in verse sixteen, I want you to not miss this point. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were what are those words? Frightened, frightened and humiliated. What were they trying to do to Nehemiah? Frighten, humiliate. But now the work is done, and they're frightened and humiliated. And and. This, this is a little bit of a touchy subject because I don't want to poo-poo like, like Nehemiah's work and his effort. The guy's standing shoulder and shoulder and they built this awesome wall in 52 days. But I mean, let's be honest, I, I don't think this is exactly a great wall of China, okay? 52 days, I think what they did is awesome, but, but this is probably not the most impressive wall you've, you've ever seen The the reason they're frightened and humiliated isn't because of the wall. The reason they're frightened and humiliated is look what it says at the end of verse 16. It says, they realized this work had been done with the help of God. They stood and looked at something that could not have been completed or finished by human hands alone. They knew that God was involved. And if God is for me, who can stand against us? Nehemiah faced discouragement and challenges, threats to his safety and character, and intimidation, unimaginable opposition, but he never lost sight of his purpose. I want you to go back to verse 3. Verse 3 and 9, I think, really hold the keys to, to Nehemiah as a whole remember they're sending these letters. Oh, come on out to the plain of Ono. Everything will be fine. We'll get all this worked out. And Nehemiah's response to them was, I'm engaged in a great work. Why should I come down? And then in verse 9, he said, I continued that work with even greater determination. Nehemiah knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was with him and that God had given him him this work, this wildly, this wig, this wildly important goal. And when opposition came, people tried to intimidate and discourage and stop him from completing this work. But he said, I continued with even greater determination in Hebrew that that phrase is literally translated, but now to strengthen my hands. They came at me from every side, from every angle, and now it's time for me to strengthen my hands. He didn't lose his resolve, he didn't lose his grip. It only got stronger. Nehemiah had this great work. That phrase has been bouncing around in my head for weeks. Great work. He was involved in a great work. The people stood shoulder to shoulder because they were involved in a great work. What's your great work? What, what, what part of a, of a great work are you invested in, involved in? What, what kind of work, what kind of business are you in that, that, that is feeding you and giving you life and energy and giving you the courage to stand up to any opposition? What wildly important goal are you dedicating yourself to? And it doesn't matter whatever it is, I guarantee there are those in this world that want to distract you and stop you. It doesn't matter what goal you have, what great work you're pursuing, someone will always be there whispering in your ear, you can't do it. You see, I think that our our world, our culture, we're so filled with distractions and so many other things, but, but our world wants us to choose less than greatness. Are you with me? Nehemiah was involved in a great work, and, and the dark side wanted him to choose less than, less than, less than his dreams, less than his potential, less than, than his future, less than his value, less than his life. And you and I have an important choice to make. Are you going to choose a great work? or have you already settled for something less than? The great work at Aspen Grove Christian Church, our wildly important goal is to grow followers of Jesus Christ. We believe that is a great work. We believe that it's a part of the great commission to go and make disciples of the whole world That that followers of Jesus Christ experience a life of freedom and fulfillment and transformation that that comes when we repent of our sins. And, And it can only come when we align our lives, align our values, align our choices with the person of Jesus Christ. And our work is for every man, woman, and child to experience the kind of life that can only come through him. It is a great And maybe that work means, maybe the, the great work for you is, w- would be to spend time in silence each week. Spend time in self-reflection or, 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 or a part of this great work. What it would look like for you is to every day commit to a time of study and prayer. Maybe it is just to simply commit to praying with your spouse on a daily basis. If you're a parent in this room, you have a great work to share Christ with your children, for them to, to fall madly, deeply in love with the person of Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with them. If you're a parent, you have a great work in your kids. And maybe that just means how many times a week are we going to sit around the same table together? How many times a week are we going to pray together? How are we going to ask questions that come from God's word together with our kids? How are we going to share the truth? How are we going to exemplify Christ to our children? Maybe part of this great work to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, to bring your alignment, your life into alignment with his means to, read, to look at your money differently, to look at your tithing and your giving Have you been distracted by self-interest? Maybe it means serving at the Nashville Rescue Mission this this coming week. And God's called me to this great work, but I've been all about me and my stuff and my schedule lately. But I'm I'm a part of something bigger. Maybe to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the things we've been pushing for a while is for you to, to get plugged into a discipling group. I think, you, uh, I think you can grow on your own. I think I, I love your little quiet coffee and Bible time that happens in the morning. I think that's great. I, I don't discourage that, but I think your greatest growth potential, your, your, your greatest uh, uh, work potential is going to be achieved when you do it in community with other people. So you need a small group of, of people that are going to help disciple you and nurture you, hold you accountable to what is God revealing to you through his word? How is God's spirit speaking to you? And then hold you accountable by asking the question, okay, great, now what are you going to do about it? I think this great work is is, is is lived out with our neighbors. I think you were... We're, we're created out of love for the purpose of love. Do you believe that? Maybe the great work of your life is to love. How are you achieving that work with your neighbors? Man, would love to just, maybe you need to think about your own table, <laughs> your kitchen table. When was the last time you had your neighbors around your kitchen table? How do we love God? Love our Neighbors. The great work that you're involved in is to become like Christ. Not to just agree with Christ, not to just study Christ, not to just know what Christ said. But your great work is to be like Him. To align every aspect of your life with Him. To be transformed. So let us not be intimidated, discouraged, or distracted. God has called us to this purpose, to this great work. Let us now strengthen our hands. We have work to do. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion. In fact, the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. We have communion stations set up around the room, and uh, we just want to create a space for for you to commune with Jesus, to remember His death, His burial, His resurrection. But but uh, maybe today, as you take this teaching with you, as we take the example of Nehemiah, as you take this bread which represents Christ's broken body and drink this cup which represents His blood poured out for you, as you enter into the forgiveness He is He He offers, enter into the work. I don't think Jesus saved you for you. If you've experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, it is for your neighbors and your kids and your friends and your coworkers. To commune with Christ is to commune with the great work, the mission of Christ, to grow followers, to make disciples. So maybe a Maybe as you take it, enter into this communion time, maybe you just need to spend a few minutes journaling or writing. You can take notes on your phone. Maybe you need to look at your goals. Well, what, what, are, what are some of the wildly important goals? What are your wildly important goals? And, and look at how have you been distracted from those. Are there certain people that are distracting you from achieving your purpose, from, from participating in the great work of God's kingdom? Write them down. What's the great work of you, of you as a parent, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a mother, as a father? Maybe some of you are here, um, I wanna, and I don't want to miss this. Some of you don't know Christ. You haven't received the, the gift of forgiveness that, that he offers. And so we want to create space for that too. We create space for you to repent of your sins or ask for forgiveness. It's a, it's a gift that uh, Christ freely offers. And so if, uh, if you're here this morning and you want to know more about Christ or if there's ways that, that we can pray for you or serve you, then uh, I'm just going to move to the back and I'll invite you to come. Maybe you have questions about baptism. Maybe today is your day. I'm ready. I'm ready to enter the work. That we want to honor that. celebrate that. I'll receive you at the back. We'll, we'll baptize you right now. You don't need anything. You have everything you need. We got you covered. So how are you guys feeling? Ready to strengthen your hands? Let's pray together. Father God, I lift up this church to you. I lift up our purpose and vision. If, if somehow we're distracted or off course, then God, I ask that, that, uh, that, you, would, that you would correct us. Got I confess in my own life there's times I've been distracted and discouraged and intimidated and i'd let i've let other things get get in the way of of becoming the kind of person the person that you've called me and created me to be.